This is a HeadGum Podcast. Andrew, this week's show is brought to you by the folks at Squarespace. You know, Squarespace. What's, you know what Squarespace does? Yeah, websites. Websites. You know who They're likes... website folks. You know who likes webs? Spiders. Spiders. Spooky and spiders. And humans like websites also. Yes, also. Yes. If you wanted to make a website about spiders and lose all of your friends, you can do that with Squarespace. They can help you turn your spooky idea into a new website, showcase your work, blog, or publish content, sell products and services of all kinds, and much, much more. They do this by giving you beautiful templates created by world-class designers, powerful e-commerce tools that let you sell anything online, analytics to help you grow, and they've got 24-7 award-winning customer support. We use Squarespace for the overdue website. We're pretty pleased with it. Even I can use it, and I don't know nothing about webs. Or sites. Or sites. He doesn't know any HTML. He doesn't know any JavaScript. He doesn't know any CSS. And I Come don't on. need to because I got Squarespace. <laughs> uh, if you want to build a website, you should go to squarespace.com slash overdue for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. you not again i've been lurking in this podcast waiting for you to arrive i got you mm, i like the spooky version of the i didn't see you come in there gag <laughs> welcome that to we're happening overdue it's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read my name is craig my name's andrew but spooky it's spooktober I'm again craig but a ghost <laughs> here to tell you about books um so this will be our spook October kickoff here. What are we uh what are we spooking about this week, Andrew? This week we are spook spooking about Midnight Sun by Stephanie Meyer. This is of course a spooky book about vampires that Stephanie Meyer wrote over the course of like a decade and a half. Uh-huh. It's a follow-up to her popular Twilight quadrilogy. Uh-huh. Which is a word. That is the right word. And it's the first book, the first book. The completely unabridged, no punches pulled, no holds barred first book in its entirety, but from Edward's perspective. Sure. And somehow longer. So I checked. First Twilight book is like 508 pages, and this bad boy is 617 pages, even though it tells the same basic story. Yeah. Which is maybe why it felt like I was swimming through molasses as I was reading it. What swimming upstream through molasses to read this book? Scarier the length of this book or an actual vampire? I think the length of this book is a little spookier to me personally. It's a little bit. I mean, it's you know, it's it is more of a going concern because I did read this book. I probably am not going to run into any vampires probably soon. Probably because they are staying home, same as everybody else. That's true. That's true. Um, I do get COVID. Want to give a shout out to our Patreon supporter Reagan, uh, who asked us to read this book. Patreon.com slash overdue pod more information. Reagan said, I've been wanting to read this book ever since I was a little fifth grade girl obsessed with the stories. 
and cringing over how awful the movies were, but still loved them and went to every midnight premiere in high school regardless. Your Twilight Saga episodes, starting episode 300, were some of my favorite, so I say it's only fair you give this one a go. And give it a go, we did. <laughs> I think, what if you released, okay, so what if instead of doing a new movie for Midnight Sun, you just released Twilight again, but called it Midnight Sun? No one would know. That was too many <laughs> no years ago. <laughs> no one would notice. Um, so before, Okay, so that's what we're doing this week. Yeah. Before we get all the way into yep. it, we had a couple other things we want to talk to y'all about. Great. Aside from the kickoff of Spooktober, which... As we do every year since like 2014 or 15, it's a spooky month full of spooky books and we all get scared, but it's like in a fun way and we hope that you all do too. And we'll read the full list at the end of the episode, but it's, it's a good one. I think we are going to, we're going to thrill you. We're going to chill you. We're going to spill you. Sure. We're going to krill you. It's going to. And then we're going to kill you. Throw a bunch of tiny fish at you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so our first order of business, Andrew, I'll give you the other one. We uh, did make a contribution to the Quileute Tribe's Move to Higher Ground initiative. Um, it is a mission to secure the future of the Quileute Tribe by moving the at-risk community to the safe zone where their culture and heritage can continue to thrive for generations to come. There's like housing and community buildings that are at risk uh in the pacific northwest flood zone um and because stephanie meyer did a lot of appropriation of the quill tribe uh in this series it felt appropriate that we would do that um you can find more information on move to higher ground at mthg.org if you would like to support them yourself that seems like a reasonable thing to do and shout out to uh, the Worst Bestsellers podcast, which is where we got the idea for it, because uh, they did it first, and it's a great idea. So we'll give them it credit for that. <laughs> yes. Um, Andrew, what else do we want to talk about? Uh, we also want to talk about voting in the United States. We are one month out from Election Day. Yeah. And we, we talk, I think, every November-ish about, about voting, but this one is a big one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so... so uh, it, Voting is an it's an imperfect tool, and you know, can, no candidate is is ideal. I don't think, but you gotta ask yourself: Is are you gonna focus on the lesser part of the phrase "lesser of two evils" or the evil part? And we would invite you to focus <laughs> this November on the lesser part. <laughs> Um, so to find out more information about registering to vote and volunteering your time and donating your money, uh, votesaveamerica.com, all one word, is the best place to go. It's just it's a uh, good repository of information because voting is so different in so many places and so many rules have been added or changed to reflect like the state of this election in the in the pandemic. So. It's it's important to start checking now. If you haven't already done a mail-in vote, you know, go ahead and request that ballot and make sure that you are on top of things because doing it at the last minute is not going to be a good idea, I don't think. No. And yeah, just, you know, we, we have a good time, I think, every every November retweeting people who tweet like their I voted stickers at us. I don't know if we're going to get the same like flood of people this year, but I think we'll do that again. Yeah. And maybe if they just come to, in early, yeah. you know, we'll do that, too. Just to, uh, you know, to foster a spirit of civic engagement. But yeah, go ahead and, and get ready to vote. VoteSaveAmerica.com 
specifically for Joe Biden and whatever Democratic Senate candidates Are, might live in the state yep. that you live in. Yep. Um, and that's all we'll that's all we'll do. That's all we'll do there. That's so all we'll let's, say. Let's talk about this book that we came here to talk about, Andrew. What is up with this book? I just gotta what start. Is- <laughs> what is happening in this? boring slog of a book we are going to have some fun here today we have spent hours talking about what people including ourselves have gotten out of the twilight series i feel like stephanie meyer tricked me because this book had oh, i didn't dig it at all we starting in episode 300 when we read when we read the original twilight i feel like we've we've done a pretty good job extending the benefit of the doubt and i think there are places where we're going to be able to do that here yeah i'll have to get there but sure because the twilight books are so popular it is also popular to to bag on them yeah yeah we've done our share of that (laughs) but midnight sun is not strictly necessary it i don't know it it is my so my i tweeted about it the other day (laughs) and i said that it was the this meeting could have been an email of books let me break that down yeah a bit I feel like this could have been a novella filling in gaps in yes. the Twilight story. Yes. Because here, because it is from Edward's perspective. So you do get some new things that you have not seen before that were scenes where you were focused on Bella and Bella was alone or Bella was with somebody else um, and Edward was off somewhere else. And it's also, it, it is occasionally interesting and enlightening to get a, a view into his mind in in some instances but in other instances and Meyer talked about this making the book actively hard to work on yeah is she is like locked into the exact dialogue and all of the like story beats from the original twilight and they are all painstakingly reproduced here to the point where like multiple times as I was reading this, I did a you know a search through this and then through Twilight. Oh, for sure. Those lines, just so I could get like a snapshot of what Bella was interpreting in that same scene because it's been a little while. Mm-hmm. And those parts of the book, I mean, it's not like what Edward was thinking or doing was a huge mystery because they all say everything that they're thinking out loud eventually. Yeah. No matter what, and so. I thought that a good like three quarters of this book was just rehashed. Like it was, it was just the stuff that we knew already with Edward kind of zoning out and giving us a flashback or a daydream or like three paragraphs of, of context for something that we'd already assumed. I don't know. There's so there's an, that's my, that's my opening statement, I guess. Sure. The other thing that makes this an interesting companion novel is that it is a companion novel to both the first book, Twilight, as well as the Twilight series. Like, she has said, she gave some interview where she said, like, she has two other books in this universe that maybe she'll write someday, uh, but this is, like, it for books, retellings from Edward's perspective. Yeah. And so some of the interesting, like backstory of the Cullens that you get by Edward just sitting around thinking all the time. Uh, He thinks a lot. Um, Some of that is actually like, it's not a full rehash, but it is 
a little redundant to some of the stuff we learn in the other Twilight books. So if you yeah, are, it'll, it'll be like th- two things you know and one thing that you don't know. Yeah. Or so like if the, you're the, a the, fan... you, you do get a return on your time investment, but it is not <laughs> as much as you might hope that it would. be. If you're a fan of the series, I'm not sure, like how much new lore there is for you here and it is not dramatically recontextualizing the events of the original twilight uh as a that does not appear to be her aim nor is it inadvertently doing that um so i want to just quote from her website about uh a little bit about the book's release She talks about releasing it during the pandemic. She says, I don't know how everyone else is coping, but right now books are my main solace and happiest escape. Personally, I would be nothing but delighted if one of my favorite authors announced something new for me to read. So I hope this gives you something to look forward to. Working on a book for more than 13 years is a strange experience. I'm not the same person I was then. My children have all grown up. My back got weird. The world is a different place. (laughs) I can only imagine all the things that have changed for you. But completing Midnight Sun has brought me back to those early days of Twilight when I first met many of you. We had a lot of fun. Um, I hope going back to the beginning of Bella and Edward's story reminds you of that fun too. So, Andrew, can you tell me a little bit about the origin of this book? So, it had... um I don't know when she when she first got the idea for it and began writing it, but the original plan for this book, and we talked about it in in the Twilight episode, however yeah. long ago that was. I honestly have no about two context. years. It was twenty eighteen. We were okay. We were uh, pimping a live show, so it was like early twenty eighteen. I think we were pimping it. It's true. We pimped it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um. The original plan was to uh, publish it in 2008 or 2009, like not long after the original series had wrapped up. Uh, but what happened was a few chapters of it leaked online. This is this is a problem with Twilight books is advanced leaks. We talked in the um, in the episode about uh, Breaking Dawn about like they had this whole like separate email address the publisher did set up that you could email them to like rat out leakers. Oh my god! Them like squash the leak. Of course. <laughs> so if so, some chapters of this leaked online. Meyer then decided, listen, I'm I'm not doing this anymore. It was just like a loss of enthusiasm for the project or something. Now interviews since this book has actually come out here in the year 2020 have sort of retconned that a little bit, much like the book itself retcons some things. (laughs) Um, And she, she, she doesn't, she doesn't blame the leak. She says, this was just a huge pain in the butt book to write with some of my books. It was like they were writing themselves and I was just working to keep up with dictation. That kind of writing is fun and exciting. This was like every single word was a struggle. And I would ask, Stephanie Meyer to sort of interrogate that (laughs) why that was a little bit and how that would feel to read from somebody else's perspective. Uh The one like the, 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 so that comes from a New York times interview she did um, later in that interview. Like the, the interviewer doesn't pull on that thread much. No, no. Almost wonder if this was like written questions submitted rather than an actual interview, an interviewer talking to her. Uh, But she, To the extent that she expands on that, she says, Edward is a very anxious character. Writing him made me more anxious, and that's one of the reasons it was hard to be in that story. His anxiety combined with mine was potent. He starts off fairly confident, but boy, does he get broken down by the end. Bella really breaks him into pieces. (laughs) Okay. Um, Yeah. 
Did you see? I the, think he comes across in Twilight being very strong and so super sure of himself when that never was really actually the case. It she says. makes you wonder if the story actually benefits from being from his perspective. <laughs> and and I say that as someone who two years ago agreed with you that Bella was an awkward cipher for the reader uh, that was kind of a nothing person. And this. And lo and behold, yes. she took the person who had character traits and made a whole book about him. And it was hard. And it was hard to write, apparently. And it was hard to read. This is... This has seeped into so many of our discussions of these of these sort of YA series fiction books. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Is... It is okay. So it's it's. I don't think it's a good thing to do like the Wheel of Time, Game of Thrones thing, where you have so many POV characters that it, the story becomes completely bogged down and overwhelmed. And by the time you're halfway through, you are hearing from the characters you actually like, like once or twice per book. Yeah, sure. And the books come out like once or twice per decade. <laughs> um, but it, at the same time, it is also really restricting to get these stories told only from one perspective like it, it is hard to live in one character's head the whole time and get like as much texture or or context and especially in a book like twilight where so much of the dialogue is interior for various yep, reasons yep. it is it, it flattens the characters a lot to be outside of them. And that, so that was the problem with the original twilight. And then the problem with this is there's too much inside. <laughs> this book is like a real monkey's paw situation. Like, Ooh, it is a monkey's paw. Someone wanted to know what was in Edward's head and we all, the monkey paw curled and this book ended up in our laps. Did you see the thing that she, I think she said, she said this to entertainment weekly, maybe somewhere else. Uh, maybe it was at a con and Entertainment Weekly reported it. Uh, she thought she was... So the Life and Death, which is the gender-swapped book that she wrote. Yes. Um, with... With Beaufort Swan. With Beaufort and, and uh, Edith, yes. Edith Collin, yes. Um, she published that in 2015, and she said in some you know comment that she was maybe thinking about moving on to Midnight Sun right afterwards... And lo and behold, like that year, Gray, the the first Fifty Shades book from Christian Gray's perspective was announced. And she was like, oh, no, Midnight Sun is cursed. I have to put it back on the shelf and wait. I can't release it right after Gray, which in and of itself is a ripoff of my own work, which she didn't say that part, but I, I heard her say it. <laughs> that was the subtext. <laughs> we got you, Stephanie Meyer. We know what you're thinking. Um, so it did come out this year. In August, it sold a million copies in its first week. She did a virtual book tour. She also did two drive-in theater events where they did, a, as she said, uh, afterwards we'll have a special screening of Twilight starring Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson. You know who's in the movie? <laughs> you know? It makes it sound like they're going to be there in person. <laughs> yeah, I don't think and they I'm are. And I'm sure they won't. I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will not be there. Um, I don't. I don't remember. They dated for a while, right? I believe they did. I think it was the the people who were in the Fifty Shades movies who hated each other. Actually, that, 
tracks. Both Kristen Stewart <laughs> yeah. and Robert Pattinson, Pattinson seem like they're pretty rad. Like I take nothing they seem away from good. them. Pretty good, and they've they've gone on to do a lot of like really interesting yeah work. Yeah, they have nuanced work. And Edward uh, <laughs> Robert Pattinson <laughs> is going to be Batman. Batman, which is a his se- so this is his second sort of bat affiliated role. Yes, I also <laughs> couldn't shake the like the vibe and knowledge that he is playing batman while reading this book and his character just does a bunch of batman stuff all the time it is a lot of brooding and sort of just thinking and nighttime vigilanteism you know and his parents are dead yes. uh-huh <laughs> also more than one review like i got like kind of cheekily referenced the fact that like this book came out during a global pandemic and edward referred to edward cullen as like one of the most famous survivors of a global pandemic because he did die during the Spanish flu. He didn't survive, technically. Well, okay, good point. He is undead. Mm-hmm. Huh. I, just, I don't know what to do with that feeling, which I definitely encountered while reading this book. Yeah. <sighs> how do you want to start? Either. How do you want to get into this guy? I want to start... Okay, let's just get this out of the way. In Twilight... Edward and Bella are sitting in Edward's car or Bella's car or her, her <laughs> horrible truck and they're talking about music and they mention a CD that that Bella's stepfather Phil has given her and they just say that it's a like a band with like loud bass and screaming vocals or yeah, something too but much aren't shrieking vocals it. for her taste yeah and uh <laughs> so the band canonically was revealed later by Stephanie Meyer to be Linkin Park. Yes. And she said she didn't put the actual name of the band in because she didn't want Linkin Park to become uncool in the interval between when the book was being written and when it was being published, which is funny for a lot of reasons. <laughs> but in this book, in this book, finally, yeah, finally, canonically, it is they do name Linkin Park. Yes. Linkin Park's in it. Uh-huh. Linkin Park's hybrid theory is the album. Yeah. And I'm just really glad to see Linkin Park finally, finally get the recognition. I'm just glad that in the end, it does matter. It does <laughs> even matter. What if Linkin Park started? What if what if this thing in literature where you go back and you do like the gender swap and you do the perspective swap? What if bands visited like their 20 year old work with like more maturity and more perspective? And changed all their like nihilistic lyrics to be like really hopeful and optimistic. I'd be up for that, actually. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of other bands that have done something like that. Like Nickelback, "Photograph" would become a song about how it's okay that you, it's okay not to peak in high school. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> smell smells like adult spirit is what. Nirvana mm-hmm. would say. Yeah. Smells like old but, people's spirit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They'd get some people, but they'd get some celebrity to sing and sound like him, you know. That's how <laughs> sure. they do it. Um, so let's, uh, I have a couple quotes from some reviews of this book that might get us into like, okay, now we're in Edward's head and what is that like? So Lauren Puckett writing for L says, an unlikable narrator can be a clever device, but Edward wants so much to convince you to hate him that the effort backfires. 
You don't love him like Bella does, nor do you think he's the monster he claims to be. If anything, he loses the allure he had in the first book. Do you agree with that statement, Andrew? Did you find him alluring in the first place? That's its own premise. To the extent that he was alluring, sure, I guess. Like okay. I, I guess see, seeing him revealed as a a ball of like self hatred in this time where I think we're all kind of dealing with their own our own mental health stuff was yeah. not amazing yeah yeah it it was not revelatory either i found um well because his, his self-hatred is pretty evident and like the whole second book is about him thinking that he's so bad for bella that he completely ghosts on her completely pardon pardon my i don't know if that's like supernaturally racist in some way oh to my refer God. to a vampire as ghosting on somebody <laughs> But he just he leaves because he thinks he's such a bad a bad being for her. Yeah, and that he can only bring misery to her. Like it is clear through reading all these other books. This is one of the things you talked about. It's clear that Edward has some real self esteem issues. Yeah, and to watch him stew in it for pages and 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 pages, and pages, and pages is not the most fun reading experience. No, because it just feels rhythmically bizarre especially when you're writing this book publishing this book for people who have read the other books i tried to make my brain i tried andrew to be like what if what if someone read this book not knowing it was a twilight book? i did that too i did that too i thought i was trying to imagine the world that would have to exist for this to be somebody's first twilight book and it's the only like the only situation that would explain why it felt so strongly that it had to convey every line of dialogue in the original twilight and then there's not nobody no nobody's doing that I, there might be there might be like one like preteen person who's a preteen now whose parents yeah. are clueless and just want to get them a popular book and like and oh they heard that this one was a big deal and they didn't do any other follow-up research, and they just bought this one. Maybe, 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 My maybe. My daughter Stephanie loves staying up late till midnight, and she loves eating pomegranates. So I got her this book by a woman <laughs> named Stephanie that has a pomegranate on the cover called Midnight Sun. I bet she'll and we dig live, it. And we live in Ohio, so I did buy it at the Meyer. <laughs> Okay. I love I love moms buying gifts with like Mrs. Doubtfire logic. It's really good. Um yeah, so like this book, let's just get into the plot. We're going to be rehashing this podcast in and of itself is a companion podcast for podcasts that we did. So, let's like get into the plot a little bit. We'll stop along the way. We'll skip some stuff that is like common knowledge, I bet. But like we open with the Cullens. Yeah, what, are, what are like common knowledge tables table stakes? Is like Edward and Bella are meant to be together. She eventually becomes a vampire. They have a child together, um, and she becomes accepted into his vampire family. Yes, which consists of uh, six other people. So there is uh, Esme and Carlisle, who are the vampire mom and dad. Yep. 
there are Emmett and Jasper who are Edward's like brothers of sort. And then there are Alice and Rosalie who are his sisters. And, sort of. and at the beginning of the series, all six of them are paired off. So Emmett and Rosalie are like actually created by Carlisle, like Esme, like uh, Edward. Jasper and Alice showed up separately. Jasper comes from like the vampire war torn North American South, it, which is a whole. I don't really remember how that's treated in the later books. I really didn't like it when I read it in this book. It feels weird. <laughs> um, and Alice came from her own backstory that is has to do with whoever ends up becoming the villain in this book. She was almost killed. She was killed by a vampire, and then we yada yada yada. She came yeah. back, and the and the special thing about this family of vampires is they have decided that they don't want to hunt and eat humans. They want they will just subsist on like animal blood, and they will try to retain whatever they can of their humanity despite their non-human characteristics. And it makes them anomalies, right? It, like Carlisle is, you know, famous world round among vampires for starting this hip trend 400 years ago or whatever. And there's another family of them up in Denali in Alaska that they're kind of man, Edward runs away there when he gets sad for like a week and it's two pages long in this book. That's a- we don't meet any of the cool Denali vampires, even though I'm pretty sure we probably meet some of them in Breaking Dawn or something somewhere. Like we He hangs out with them for like a second, and in Twilight, it's like this really, you know, bad, sad week for Bella. Come on, Stephanie, spend more time in Denali. Um, <laughs> but so they're like living in this town called Forks up in the Pacific Northwest where there's lots of clouds. So the sun's never really out, even though that's not really how light particles work. But like, I'm not a physicist and they <laughs> like are going to go to high school for four or five years. They've been here before and they've come back like as of yeah, two but, but years like ago. many, many generations ago, like they, they can usually hang out in an area for like a decade or so before yeah, yeah. their cover gets blown and however young they pretend the kids are is kind of the it, it sets the boundary so in the, in Forks the kids all enrolled as like high school sophomores and now they are juniors who are about to become seniors yeah like Rosalie and Emmett have gotten married multiple times apparently I did like that yeah that was kind of fun it's like Rosalie's favorite thing is to get married because <laughs> she's done it so many times uh, and all of the vampires have special talents, um, but Edward really has like one of the best ones because he has telepathy. He can hear people's thoughts within a certain miles radius. But he um, can't communicate. No. Like, I think telepathy typically is two ways, right? Oh, fair, fair enough. I don't know. Yeah, what do so you he call can hear, one he way? He can hear people's thoughts, and that leads to a lot of sometimes... Con- so, let's talk about... Edward and Alice, I guess, mm-hmm. first mm-hmm. is so Edward can read people's thoughts and Alice has a sort of limited for narrative purposes version of like scrying where she can see what the future might be based on the current intents of the people whose future she is trying to and, trying to like divine. And she does have to like focus on people 
or be like kind of open to generally receiving people she cares about. Her talent is stronger for supernatural beings than for humans. Um, I do like that she could just give Edward like gambling odds. Like she's like, 60-40, you're going to kill her. Like, you gotta yeah, figure it's very this like C-3PO of her to be able to <laughs> recite the odds at any given moment. But, but this, so, so, so a lot of this book is, there is a lot of like shorthand character work that gets done because Edward can read Alice's mind. Alice can tell the future. And so Edward, functionally, most of the time can also tell the future. Correct. And he is because seeing he can what see she sees. All of the vision, yeah. yes. And so, like, for example... In the original Twilight books, like Alice is really psyched to become friends with Bella and like take her under her wing and like make her feel welcome in the family where like some of the other members are not so hot or so understanding of Edward's decision to like bring a human into the fold because how can this possibly end? And Edward lies to himself a lot about like how this could possibly end. Um, But it the book decides and it does this a couple of times is like Alice sees a future where she is friends with Bella and so she decides to become friends with Bella and so we just accept that that's a thing like yeah there's a lot of self-fulfilling prophecy stuff that happens there, with this, Alice <laughs> like the first time Edward and Alice meet they get into this bizarre feedback loop where they just like instantly become super close because Alice has visions of them coming super becoming super close and Edward can see the visions and so it just kind of happens because she saw that it was going to happen. Yeah, it's and I don't I don't want to get all like Star Trek on anybody, but <laughs> this is these are some real conundrums. Well, and that's why she and Jasper fell in love. She saw a future where she was in love with Jasper. He has superpowers of like feeling emotions and controlling emotions. So then when he meets her and she's like, you're going to love me. And he's like, wow, that's a real emotion. I guess I'm in love with you. Like, what a weird way to form a relationship. Um, And so, yeah, the whole Edward-Alice dynamic, which is played with in the other books, is really just like what drives plot in this book. In as much as plot happens, it is often Alice has a vision of something Edward hears her have a vision of something. Edward isn't quite sure what's going to happen, so he does something else, which in and of itself fulfills the prophecy that he couldn't quite clear or something like that. Yeah, yeah. like people don't respond to... Edward doesn't respond to events very often. Often he is responding to what Alice sees as like the most likely version of events. Yeah. So that's like the biggest... Yeah. That's the biggest, you know, perspective shift is that you have Edward hearing everybody's thoughts and seeing them think things throughout the book. So, like the early section, and like, I oh, and yeah. so in the I, real quick, real real quick, please, I don't want to steal your thunder. In the first Twilight episode of our podcast that we did, we were fans of Mike Newton. Oh man. The, the nobody regular human uh-huh. possible love interest for Bella Swan. 
in this book, you get to see Mike's inner thoughts, and they are the inner thoughts of a teenage boy who really wants a girl to like him, and it's no fun at all, and he sucks. No, I'm a bigger fan cancel, of- Cancel Mike Newton. Cancel Mike Newton. Uh, we stand men like Ben and Eric and other loser boys in this book. Because, um, like, so the beginning of this book is Edwards in high school- and he's like, ugh, high school. And he starts hearing the basically the entire high school go, who's that girl? Like, hearing... It's, yeah, right. Like, a new, uh, there's a Zoe new girl has walked, into- has walked into school. And he's like, what's up? And, of course, as you might remember from the other books, for some reason, he can't hear her mind. He just can't. It's not possible. And this is weird to him which creates kind of an emotional feedback loop of wanting to know more about her because all of the normal skills he would know to like hear what people are thinking. And he is very important actually to the safety of the Cullen clan, um, which becomes a plot like turning point a couple of times of him, like wanting to run away from Bella lest he kill her. And they're like, yo, if you leave, you're like our, our alarm system <laughs> like yeah, you are you're like our early our early warning system for vampire conflict you are the one who who lets us know if people have seen us be vampires or something so like we you can't just leave and if there's i th- i think the the weak point of the first book for us even even forgiving how little perspective like young love has yeah is how quickly and instantly both Bella and Edward are eternally committed to each other and like willing to give up and this is this is particularly like heinous from Bella's perspective because she is literally 17 years old she has a mother and father who she is depicted as caring a lot about and like caring for a lot yeah who she is sort of ready to give up in order to assume this like new vampire life but like in so in this book we we get that from Edward's perspective like from from Bella's perspective it's just kind of like she is drawn to him and he is beautiful and she is fascinated with him and that's just kind of how it is in this book like from Edward's and it at least starts as fascination with not being able to read her thoughts after yes. eight years of the same thing every day and every night any change became a point of absorption he says hmm and I don't know if that's a great reason to get together with somebody, <laughs> but, but it's, so, it's just because she's different. It's but, a combination yeah. of like, okay, my gift doesn't work. That changes how I behave. So that's novel. He does when she comes into the room, he, she walks in front of like the HVAC vent and he loses his mind and has she to, smells so good. And, and there's to, way too much conversation about how girls smell in this book. It's really <laughs> terrible. I hate it. Um, and- <laughs> including at the end where Bella's mom comes to the hospital <laughs> and because we got the original books from Bella's perspective I did not pick up on <laughs> Renee being a MILF but that's the first thing that Edward notices is like man I bet they're sisters I bet they're mistaken for sisters all the time he does say that because she's Total like a young milf. mom and he's like wow hmm interesting she's a she's a MILF she's a mom I'd like to suck the blood out. <laughs> no. <laughs> he 
And he also does say that the other vampires in the Cullen clan, all of their like romantic feelings were very sudden and instant and complete. So there is like, that's Meyer a little bit like finding some lore trappings around her like romance convention of yo the lovers she, just have to love each other right but she is just rehashing what she did i know with the wolf people with I, the imprinting yes. but there's less precedent for it and so fine whatever <laughs> it made me upset that that we're supposed to accept that again uh-huh is that for all these supernatural beings it's just love at first sight and like nobody can do anything about it but fine whatever whatever it's Stephanie fine Mike, fine um so of course he like has this visceral reaction he runs away to denali we don't get to meet any of the cool vampires for more than like two seconds it's a real bummer would you get to meet like a cool amazon vampire in yeah. a flashback whatever you know okay but the flash i enjoyed some of the flashbacks let's sure but let's let's talk about some of the things that we enjoyed i enjoyed <laughs> the flashback to when edward and rosalie became like when they think they became brother and sister sure they they have a lot of difficulties with each other and i did enjoy how all of the other like vampires in the colin family like being in love already how it helped like like how how it helped them understand what Edward was doing sure. and helped explain why they are also gung ho to defend her. I actually that think sense. that works a lot better narratively as an explanation for how they are acting than it that necessarily does for for Edward. It's like they they all did have this strong instant like love reaction. And now that Edward is having it and they thought, you know, he's he's like a hundred and whatever years old. They didn't think he was going to have it. And now that he finally has it. They're both like happy for him and also like understanding of him in a way that makes even the most begrudging of them give him a little bit of space the and scene, some latitude to like feel what he feels. The scene where they really cotton on is like he sits down at the p. He comes home and he sits down at the piano and he starts making some new music. And everyone's like, yo. Edward's playing the piano. Check Edward's it out. playing again. He's playing again. It's beautiful. Something is new. Um, that works. Doesn't Christian Gray have a piano. Yes, he does, as well? and he's very okay. good at the piano, of course, Andrew. <laughs> um, the the thing about Rosalie too, like you get some of this in the original books. I do appreciate a little bit more of the rumination on Rosalie as someone who really like regrets ch- her change intensely, like. Her superpower that, is being that's why hot, she's so I think, right? Like, <laughs> and she honestly, like, now that she's immortal, she's, like, kind of not sure what to do with that. And she... Well, and she... Everybody in uh, Carlisle's family, he was, he was the first one. Everybody in that family was... They're not unhappy with their lot in life, but they, by and large, were turned... A, Against their will or without consent. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and Rosalie, the ma- the reason she hates Bella initially is because Bella wants this life and Rosalie would give anything not to have this life. And so it's like, it's like look, at this, look at this idiot. <laughs> look, what, what does this idiot want everything that I do not want? Yeah, and, and it really pisses her off that, that Edward is so invested in a human who does not understand this. Um, so yeah, that I appreciated that. I also like, I found it fun 
even if I found it some some of it kind of weird in the first third of the book where we spend more time with Edward in high school and we're rehashing all of the events from Twilight and we're getting all the conversations that we that she already wrote with Bella in them but now Edward's just in a different room listening to them I guess um I did like the like He's just tuning into different Twitch channels of people's brains where he's like, you're in a conversation with me and he just zooms into your head to watch my face. Like that's, that's what he's doing. It's very strange. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, he like goes into Mike's head so that he can see Bella be bad at badminton once. And I do. And, and there are heads that Edward enjoys being more yeah. than some other heads. Like Mike's head hates it is a is a toxic place <laughs> to be. Um, What's the what's the. And I think it's Angela. Angela is the one he the, likes is the one he likes. Um, And he like in the brief moments where we get a, uh, a look at Jacob Black in this. And this is this is a point of retcon that I that I noted. Oh, they are, they are. It's a slight retcon that sort of makes it easier for them to get where they get by the last book, where they're like, "My brother, my son." <laughs> sure, Remember that yes. Remember that one. <laughs> um, but like in in these books, like Edward and Jacob both kind of hate each other from the go. Yeah. But in Midnight Sun, he is in Jacob's head briefly, like hearing his thoughts. And he says, I felt suddenly sorry that this particular boy was born my enemy. He was the rare kind of mind that was easy to be inside, restful almost. And it's just like the openness and the honesty of Jacob is, what is if, refreshing to him. What if a puppy was a person is really what, what jacob is mm-hmm. um but so like he does these fun things that you you have to imagine that edward would have done a lot of this stuff and i i am surprised meyer just meyer doesn't dwell on it like he wants to pay back angela for being a good person so he like concocts a scheme where the boy that she likes who also sort of likes her but isn't sure about it he like drums up a conversation between him and Emmett that like lets the boy know that Angela likes him and he's just using his powers for good in a way that feels like a like the first quarter of a Spider-Man movie where he's like oh I have superpowers how can I like kind of be sneaky and do weird stuff yeah it's, it's very much like a like a mid-2000s nbc sitcom that gets canceled <laughs> after three seasons it's like my name is earl but also i'm a vampire <laughs> yes also i'm a vampire that's the name of the show um so he you know the thing with bella is happening they are becoming friends again after he stopped talking to her for a month after she got in that car accident and he like outed himself as a vampire to her, uh, but not totally. And then the whole scene in Port Angeles where she goes shopping with her friends. It's Stephanie, I think, and Angela. Um, and Edward, Jessica, isn't it? Jessica, excuse me, Jessica. Yes, Jessica. Jessica is the is the catty one who yes. Edward also does not like. Correct. Very much. Um, and this is where he saves Bella from like a, a murder sex predator in the street. Um, by using his mental powers as like echolocation to find them. Because, um, of course, he again, he can't track Bella, so he is like bopping around between different people's heads to locate them. And it's like, fine. It, I don't know. Like, 
Yeah, it's was... like the interesting thing is that he sees what they see, so he keeps like trying through other people's eyes to like catch a sight of a road sign or something. Like we we've played <laughs> the game GeoGuessr, yes. which is a, a a game where they dump you down in like a Google Street View of a random place, and you need to figure out where you are. Yes. Um, and yeah, so you're just like clicking around, looking for road signs, looking for like languages that you recognize, looking to see which side of the road people are driving on, like whether you're miles or kilometers. And that is basically how Edward figures out where people are is like elaborate, like geo guesser type <laughs> information. And so that's fun. It's different. Um, and I did enjoy it like mechanically. It does, it, it fails to, tell me anything new about their relationship though which again you know maybe the book does isn't actually interested in that it's just do it it's just doing what it's doing so I, I don't know that it's necessarily interested in telling us different stuff about their relationship but I did find especially early on before they were spending a lot of time together that this be- the Bella in this book is oh the not new Bella the yeah Bella that I recognize from the original Twilight um so this is this is the most clear and I, I did look this up to the best of my ability this anecdote does not appear at all in the original Twilight okay but there is a there there's a moment where like there are a couple of chapters where Edward is like okay they first meet. And Roll it back as in the bit. original Twilight, like Edward is overwhelmed by her scent and doesn't understand why he's having such a strong reaction to her. His initial impulse is to run away so as not to like break this this code that he lives by where he doesn't kill humans because her blood is just so alluring and so so scrummy to him <laughs> <laughs> that he just wants to to eat her right up. Um, so he is observing her from afar and trying to like pick apart why he is feeling the way he's feeling about her. And he just observes a lot of stuff about her that we don't observe from within her in the mm. original Twilight book. Mm-hmm. And so one of these anecdotes is with this girl named Tara, who uh, everybody in class says is like a stoner and like a failure. Like a wasteoid. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Bella decides to pick Tara to be part of like a group project. Even the, like Bella fully intending to do all the work sees Tara struggling and decides I'm going to, to bring her on board and, and try and help her like pass this biology class. Um, so from Edward's perspective, we get had Bella noticed how Tara was usually ostracized by the rest of the class. I could imagine no reason besides kindness for reaching out to her, especially with Bella's shyness in the way. I wondered how much discomfort it had caused her and decided it was probably more than any other human here would have been willing to go through for a stranger. And so you get that combined with some of the things that Bella does for her mother. Like this is not totally absent from Twilight, but you get a picture of a much more like confident and like quietly charitable Bella rather than like the nothing cipher klutz that she is in, in twilight. (laughs) And I guess it is, it is fitting that being in Edward's head is kind of uncomfortable. And then you get like an unrealistic picture of who Bella is because reading the original twilight, 
it's not super pleasant to be in Bella's head and you get what is apparently an unrealistic picture of who Edward is as a person. That's does a, that make sense? Yeah, it does. So I found this that actually bridges nicely to this this Vox review by Constance Grady um, talking about the perspective shift. Um, part of what makes Edward such a powerful fantasy figure um, is the way he seems to see something in Bella that even she can't, something that allows him to center his whole immortal life on her. And it is this secret specialness that the reader can borrow for themselves, imagining through the eye- that through the eyes of a worthy lover, they too might become impossibly special, so special that a vampire might fight against his very nature to keep from drinking their impossibly tempting blood. <laughs> Um, it's a powerful fantasy there's nothing wrong with it there's nothing mysterious about why ten thousands of teen girls would want to live inside that fantasy and so Grady actually doesn't really love this treatment of Bella just because it I don't know it actually goes against what Grady finds compelling about Bella in the original books which is someone who's like shut up I want to be a vampire because I want to be with you let's go and we also get a little bit of that Bella in this book but because it's from Edward's perspective, we get way more of like vignettes of him going, wow, she's really selfless and caring. I just can't. I Why doesn't she understand wow. what a monster I am? Why Come doesn't on. she understand the monster that I am? I even thought that the, the scenes where in the original Twilight, like she was quite clearly asking to be turned into a vampire were sort of watered down in this because like maybe Edward doesn't want her to be asking or is kind of ignoring mm-hmm. the ask. Any of the asks, like focusing on his own, like what he perceives to be the best for her. And again, I I agree with you. You said this a little while ago. Like I just don't buy that the Bella that Edward is seeing, and even the Bella we meet in some of the in the actual books is like that keen. Why is she so keen to be like you know my family, whatever? Like I guess there's by the time yeah like you have to get all the way to the last book and she has to actually become a vampire so like it has to happen already for her to realize like oh this is there's something missing like there's something in my identity that I've been missing this whole time that has clicked and I I guess I should and I finally understand what it is I I don't the problem is I don't think that Meyer is writing about uh naivete on this choice like i don't think bella's arc is one is one that we're supposed to go like oh and then she'll figure out that she's missing something by being immortal like it really doesn't feel like that's what meyer is up to um, yeah like it, it it is frustrating because it feels like all the pieces are here and they're just not being yeah yeah like the the subtle narrative foreshadowing that i think you you'd get in a more in a more in a in a slightly better i guess <laughs> character driven series um, is not really here so but okay let's continue moving through it i, I think there's what like there, how much more plot stuff do we honestly do you want to just blast through the rest of the plot I stuff i really do i want to move to because i th- i think that people listening not only of are familiar with the story of Twilight, but also probably have listened to our Twilight episodes. I want to move to the hot so let's corner. Not, let's not midnight sun this podcast, um, you know? The hot corner, <laughs> a baseball complaint zone by Craig Getting. Um, what, okay. So they're dating now. They've done the family introductions. Um, we've not really talked about the Quillute stuff with Jacob and his grandfather. This is barely in here. Like even to the extent that you get Whatever. it in Twilight, you never, like you spend like 10 pages with 
with yes. Jacob and his family in this. And again, we are now three quarters of the way through the book. There's no major antagonist yet. And the vampires want to play <laughs> baseball. And the and she's like, you're going to play baseball? And he's like, it's the American pastime. Cool, cool, cool. And uh, what kind of bats do they use? Like, if they're using wooden bats, all those bats would break. They're swinging them so hard, pitching them so hard. There's no mention of metal bats in this book. Like... No, I guess they don't mention what the bats are made out of. That's a mess. What's up with that? Also, Alice and Edward can cheat using psychic energy, um, which they do talk about a little bit. Um, I also, there was a part in the baseball game that really confused me, Andrew. Um, I want you to tell me about this part of the baseball game. I have to find it in my screenshots of the notes that I took. Okay, so there's a part in the game... Uh, there are teams of three, which is a weird way to play baseball, but you only got six vampires to play baseball with, I guess. Mama as I mean, Vampire baseball, and they've already got very complicated house rules. Yes, <laughs> it's true. Um, and so Alice and uh, Edward are on the same team, so he can like see where the ball's going to go, but they he's not allowed to move until the ball's hit, or else that's cheating. And Ed, what Rosalie gets on second base, Andrew, mm-hmm. and... Um, Emmett is up to bat and he wants to bring her in from second with a sacrifice fly. No one scores from second on a sacrifice fly, first of all. That's just not possible. Even if you scale Wait, don't explain to me why. Because you the way a sacrifice sacrifice fly. A sacrifice fly is I'm on base and Mm -hmm. I can't if the ball goes up in the air, I can't run um or I can't legally leave my base until you catch the ball. So what you mm-hmm. normally see is like batters will step off the bag a little bit and then the outfielder will make the catch and then they have to run back to the base that they were on. Mm-hmm. Now there's a thing called tagging up, which is you stand on your base, you wait till the catch happens and then you run to the next base mm-hmm. because it was hit far enough that you're not going to get thrown out. Sure. Great. Wonderful. That doesn't happen from second to home because that's two bases. You can't tag up. That's unlikely. It's just an unlikely thing. Not even thing. with vampire speed? But but also and, and and only like two players. But also the- vampire throwing, like they gotta throw the ball real fast. You're gonna get out anyway. Emmett, they they say Emmett's gonna hit a sack fly to bring her in from second, which again doesn't make any sense. Um, he hit this one high rather than long, knowing gravity was slower than I was. It worked, and I ground my teeth as Rosalie touched home plate. Okay. Stephanie Meyer, that doesn't make any sense because she isn't allowed to leave the base until Edward catches the ball anyway. So gravity does not matter. You're assuming MLB rules. Gravity does not matter in a sacrifice fly. That's just not how it works. That's not baseball. I'm so mad about it. Wow. Like you're just vamp explaining baseball to Stephanie Meyer. I just am like, I, well, but like I do want to give her credit. She has Carlisle do a Baltimore chop because he knows that like hitting balls in the air, they're all going to get caught anyway. So he hits the ball into the ground and then it goes right up into the sky from there, but it's a ground ball. So he can just run the bases as he pleases. It's a cool like baseball maneuver that nobody does anymore. Nobody, but I feel like, Carlisle, he's got some old timey baseball instincts. Well, if if you hit a baseball that hard as a vampire, though, why would it bounce off the ground instead of burrowing deep <laughs> and into causing the ground? an earthquake? 
Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's my question. Yes. I'm very upset about the baseball mechanics. Um, I could read a whole book about vampire baseball. And really, like, even less of this book was vampire baseball than I remember from Twilight. You have to go through, like, 400 pages to get there, and then there's, like, 200 pages after. So I really felt your pain on that one <laughs> thank you because you're probably waiting to get to vampire baseball this whole time like, i know vampire baseball from edward's perspective please sign me up yes this is my fantasy baseball and let's talk about more well, well and let's talk about baseball as much as you want well no we can move on because the baseball summons the evil vampires right the baseball is the only reason why the back like quarter of the book has a plot at all um or an antagonist at all anyway (laughs) so in addition to retconning lightly like and and again not retconning in a way that's completely totally incompatible with the original books but in a way that is definitely like incompatible with your understanding of the characters at this point um there are also points where stephanie meyer is clearly trying to address uh criticisms of her own yeah go for it (laughs) And so this is this is Edward experiencing Bella through the eyes of Mike Newton, who he hates and who I also hate now. <laughs> um, and Edward says of Mike Newton, um, it helped that he never noticed her small revelations, her little slips. He knew nothing about her. He created a Bella in his head who didn't exist, a girl just as generic as he was. He hadn't observed the unselfishness and bravery that set her apart from other humans. Didn't hear the abnormal maturity of her spoken thoughts. So I guess the we thought that Bella was kind of generic and uninteresting. That's on us for being a couple of Mike Newtons. Like we just we just weren't picking up on the great traits that were there in Bella this whole time. Yeah, cool. Does that make up for the part where he rationalizes breaking and entering into her house because he already has a bunch of fake IDs and fake documents and he's committed lots of crimes in his life already? Like I've like I've already broken a lot of broken a lot of human laws, so what's a couple more is basically his rationalization. Yeah, what's breaking into my not girlfriend's house and spying on her while she sleeps? That's totally fine. That's my <laughs> we- <laughs> We had, I think we had questions about like the practicalities of vampire life and whether human laws and stuff, and whether they were like worried about climate change. Yeah, I do. And in this passage, he says, then of course there was the way we funded our lives. Insider trading laws didn't apply to psychics, but it certainly wasn't honest what we did. And the transfer of inheritances from one fabricated name to another wasn't legal either. And then there were all the murders. (laughs) So yeah, vampires are insider traders. They're just a bunch of white collar criminals this whole I time. I could have told you that. And because our government chronically underfunds the the prosecution of white collar crime, they just get away with it. Fund the IRS and they, catch the vampires. That's how it goes. Vampires are probably up there on K Street lobbying to to get rid of the state tax. Fund the Internal Revenant Service. Let's go. Catch them. <laughs> Vampires are against the undeath tax. <laughs> so is there any other kind of like retconning that you meant? Like that's the the one he does. Like, I don't want to be a peeping Tom, said the guy being a peeping Tom. Like, there's not too much else that I recall where Meyer is. No, it's just it, there are not a, a lot of moments. It's just th- there are moments that feel so... um 
like they they go against the, the established like grain of these yeah, characters sure. or at least these characters at this point so much that it stood out to me and the reason it like stood out to me and, and frustrated me and and to go back to our conversation about POV chapters earlier is like if if we were meant to be getting all this stuff about Bella and if we had enough of Edward in the original Twilight to get this stuff about Bella I feel like it would work better as a book like I, I yep. would understand more about their relationship if these character notes had been brought forward more in the first place and like clearly Meyer had them in mind and like Apparently figured out what was appealing about Bella as she was like architecting this whole thing because she wrote the first and the last books in the series sort of next to each other and then later put the second and third books in. And so like clearly she had she figured out why Bella was special. She just doesn't she just doesn't tell us about it for books and books. I even saw an interview where she mentioned like giving Robert Pattinson, some of the chapters of this book years ago, you know, the the unpublished version of this book so that he kind of had an idea of what Edward was going through. Like, this is part of the the general lore. It's just weird that it's here now as this other thing. And even back, even if it had been published back when she was working on it, it still would have, I think, been strange. Like it. Yeah, and like I I, I th- there is a real conversation to be had and i'm curious if you have any thoughts okay about about like whether not knowing one or more sides of of the story makes twilight more suspenseful like not knowing exactly what edward is doing or thinking at all times makes it more interesting or like makes you want to to read more like maybe if we and and this is this is kind of a, a point that is that is made at the end of the last book where Bella like her her telepathy blocking powers become a, a like a bubble that she can just kind of shift around and so as a gift to Edward she shifts it away from her mind so he can see her thoughts for the first time and that is a really like deep and meaningful moment to him to like realize finally that she thinks like exactly what she thinks of him um and he can be like sure of it in a way that he is with everybody else but not with her so if you if you have a version of twilight that is like switching pov chapters or even just like a little bit of edward sort of at the beginning or at the end do you lose something of like the mystery of edward yeah in, in doing that? i think i don't you, know i think you you do I think there's a there's a very there there is a version of this story that succeeds without information in Edward's head and it is like it makes that moment meaningful. The problem is is that when we don't have Edward's perspective, we're stuck with Bella and Bella in that perspective is kind of a murk. Like she just isn't <laughs> that interesting and again, it's also a like most of the plot is driven by people outside of her. Um, and yes, it is a story about her kind of dealing with that, but it just makes for weird reading for me personally. Um, and this book, similarly, like not having access to Bella in these scenes where like apparently Bella is like really interesting <laughs> is kind of frustrating. Um, yeah, I don't know. I 
I don't know if Stephanie Meyer could write the could write or is interested to write the version that is more compelling because both sort of, of the characters these. are yeah. fleshed out at the same time. Because like I, I mean, like I, there there were moments in this where I was prompted to go back to the original Twilight and like search for the line of dialogue so yeah. I could see the inner monologue that surrounded it. And so that, that tells me, I don't know, like maybe instead of doing an entirely perspective swapped one, you just do, you do the melded one instead. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if, I don't know if the response to, I don't think it would have been as enough strong. Of a pers- yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't know. Like, I don't know if the response to not enough of somebody's perspective is to make the whole thing, the other person's perspective. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's totally fair. Um, but I don't know. Like, why not just like blow the whole thing open and like, give us a little bit of Jacob, give us a little bit of she did, didn't she? Alice, give us some Carlisle, like give a, give us Jacob does get a little bit. And in, I, re- in I recall us enjoying that stuff. Cause it was yeah, different. Yeah, like it, and it, yeah, it, it fleshed out more of the like supernatural things that were going on. Meanwhile, but... she writes like a whole chapter in this book. That's like vampires boringly chase each other through Canada. You're going to, why does the, the vampire action sequence, or as you put to me in Slack, the what the Cullens and the Furious? What did you call I it? I put the Twilight in the Furious, but I hadn't thought about it very much. <laughs> like there's a whole car racing a, sequence. There, fifteen seconds ahead of me, the perfect bubble of space opened. I swerved into the center lane, flipped the clear safety cover off the bright red go go one button. The timing was perfect. The exact instant I was clear, I punched the button. The Nas spray hit, and the car shot forward as it fired from a cannon. 155, 170. Those are speed limb, speed like speedometer <laughs> numbers. But yeah, he goes like full like Vin Diesel here at the end of this thing, and yet it is super boring and not. I don't know. It's it's too much. I also but I oh. found the entire last action sequence from Edward's perspective really uninteresting and not only because i knew what was going to happen but because she had to she had to break it up so like in the first book uh the evil vampire named james catches her james (laughs) a name that strikes fear into the hearts of all humanity and he has tracked her to phoenix he's tricked her with home movies and he's gonna kill her in this dance studio and he like films a weird tape for Edward to watch later in the security camera or something. And then like the vampire show up, kill him. And then he has to, you know, Edward has to save Bella from the vampire like venom that's in her. From Edward's perspective, it's yeah, it's racing in the car. It's getting there super quick, killing the dude or maybe his brothers kill him. And then like. He saves Bella, and then he has to like watch it on what an iPad or on a tiny TV or something. I in just a make church. a note of like how good the the video and sound quality on this dance studio's surveillance <laughs> camera is, because he can hear like the sound of her like skin getting scraped when so she's bizarre. like thrown up against a mirror. It's really strange, but I don't know. I think this makes me want a version of this that is that is like what if we took whoever would have the most interesting perspective in a given situation (laughs) and just did the book from from there sure and so imagine the 
the scenes where Jacob and Billy Black show up for like 10 pages, but from their viewpoint. And she even, I think she cops to that a little bit because there are moments where you are just getting sort of unvarnished thoughts from the other people's Edward, heads because of Edward's mind reading powers. Edward is close to being the version of the book we want, but yeah. she refuses to give it to us. Yeah, that is interesting. She does do that a lot where it's just like pages of Edward watching people and other people are talking. Um, again, it's like, that could be cool. It's just so long. It, just gives, it gives you more information about it, it would do more showing and less telling when when edward is talking about stuff like how humans initially react to the collins and then their minds sort of to protect them like cover things up and and make yeah it, like oh like their instinctual response is to see the collins as a predator or see them as dangerous but then to protect them, their brains make them see just like a normal teenage boy. Um, but what if, what if seeing that from, from Mike's perspective or like a Ben's perspective Why or not? Charlie's perspective? Like just, I don't know. I did kind of like I, the little again, thing. This book, even though this book made me, I, we wanted more Charlie. Oh man. In the original Twilight yep. books. Mm-hmm. And we want we end up wanting more Charlie in this because this is this is, I guess we can close on this. This is one of the other sort of interesting things. I was that just Meyer gonna say this doing, part. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is um so Bella's mind is unreadable to Edward. And it turns out that this is like genetic in some way. Sure. Like from Charlie, Edward can only read sort of vague impressions of like what he is feeling, which I kind of love. And when Ed, when Edward realizes this, um, he's like, "Oh, I just thought that Charlie was kind of dumb and like didn't think a lot." And no, it's actually that like I can't actually get in there. Yeah, and it, it is it is simultaneously interesting that Charlie is that way, but also it perpetuates the non-charactering yes, of correct. Charlie throughout all these This books. is Charlie what erasure. Charlie want, what Charlie wants is not important. What Charlie feels about his daughter like becoming an undead bride of the night what is Charlie just, like, feels, not ever explored. What Charlie feels about his daughter showing up in a rainstorm being like, I'm mad about my boyfriend, I'm running to Phoenix. Like, what is that scene, poor Charlie? Yeah, so, and, and then like Renee is... She can like her, project into other people. It feels yeah, like. like her her thoughts make people want to help her. Yeah, which I guess is a power that most middle aged white ladies feel oh like they have. <laughs> it's like Renee's power is perfectly suited to get people to go speak to their manager oh, about, no. about something. Oh, that is exactly what it is, no, though, right? I mean, she does do that in the hospital. And she's yeah. like, I need to find my daughter. And I think uh, Ed- Edward remarks on like her having multiple guides like leading her to the room because it's it's like people are following her down the street to her goal or something. Yeah, that's funny. Um, and so, yeah, apparently... She, Bella has inherited some sort of special mind from her parents, um, which has made her obviously captivating to Edward. What a book. What a book that we read, huh? 
It feels fitting that this podcast has been sort of a shapeless collection of thoughts about different bits and pieces of this. Because it's kind of how I feel about it. Like, I don't know. It's it's hard to talk about as a book because it is just Twilight again. I can't stress enough the fact that it is 120 pages longer than the already 500-page Twilight. I kinda, it is just so long. I kind of wish it were... I kind of wish it had been worse. Like, I really... I come away from this conversation being like, oh, there was some interesting things I found myself thinking about in this really long book. And I kind of wish it had been like a real Sharknado situation where I could just <laughs> revel in the disaster of it. And I feel like the gender swap one would probably be closer. To yeah, that. that's probably true. But I don't know. We'd always nope. try to find redeeming qualities in everything we read, like stupid, dumb How idiots. How dare we? How <laughs> dare we? Um, so, yeah, that's our podcast. Welcome to Spooktober. You scared yet? Are, I'm scared. Yeah. I'm scared that Stephanie Meyer has two more books in this saga sort of planned out in her head. I don't know what they could be. What is she? Unless it's like Twilight, Colin, Jacob time, and we just get <laughs> a completely unrelated book with of Jacob that has like Bella and Edward in it in a couple places. I don't want her to, to write more about the Quileutes, honestly. Mm, yeah that's uh that's fair but okay uh speaking thereof again what about uh, twilight denali vampires okay yes or twilight like what about twilight hundred years in the past about the volturi what about twilight degrassi vampires what about twilight vice <laughs> twilight and they're in florida like solving crime what about twilight babies like Mupp- twilight babies would be interesting like they're mm. all babies? I haven't really thought this one younger. through. <laughs> yeah, no, it's Um, okay. We said at the top of the show, um, we made a contribution to the Quillute Tribes Move to Higher Ground. Go to mthg.org for more information on that. Again, also make sure you got your voting on lock. Go to votesaveamerica.com. Make sure you're you're registered. You got your mail-in ballot stuff. If you're doing that, you know where your polling place is. And if you have time uh, to volunteer, if you have money to donate, please do those things. Um, thanks to everyone for listening. You can email us your dreams for another Twilight novel. That will hopefully never come to pass. She should never. Why Why is she making more of these? Send us an email at overduepod at gmail.com. Hit us up on Facebook or Twitter. Slash Overdue Pod. Thanks to Sophia, Benjamin, Tasha, Mary-Kate, Nicole, Nick, Olivia, Jonathan, Robin, Beach, Michelle, Alexandra, Jordan, Anna, Robert. I don't think that was Beach. That was probably supposed to be Becca, and my autocorrect ate it. <laughs> Sorry, Becca. Thanks, Beach. <laughs> Thanks, Beach. Uh, Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? They can go to OverduePodcast.com, where we have spooky links to Apple Podcasts and Google in our RSS feed. Um, the for October the S's in RSS stand for super spooky, <laughs> um, and the R stands for really really <laughs> super spooky. We also are on Stitcher and Spotify. We have a Patreon page, Patreon.com/slash/OverduePod. Get bonus episodes and other stuff early. Um, and we have a new listener page up there. If you're just getting into the show and you don't just want to look around for books that you already know, uh, look over there, and we have episodes that we. 
particularly enjoyed or like how they came out. I think we are due for an update there. If you if you saw this episode in your feed and were like, whoa, they read the Twilight books, the, those are all collected there, so you can go find them there. Uh, Spooktober schedule. Next week, we are going to read the Choose Your Own Adventure title, Revenge of the Russian Ghost by Jay Leibold. Yeah. On uh, October 19th, we read The Phantom of the Opera by Gaston LaRue. On Spooktober 26th, we read Demon Theory by Stephen Graham Jones. And then our bonus episode this month is the book Lovecraft Country by Matt Ruff, which is now a uh, popular adaptation on HBO. Uh, Speaking of bonus episodes, we did drop our latest Genie Babies episodes three and four. Um, Learn about some ladies necks on that episode. Um, Thanks to Nick Larandis, who composed our theme music. Thanks to y'all for hanging out with us, talking about glittery vampire. The, gl- the glittery vampire thing happened. It was the same scene as in the other book. It was not different at all. But wait, but it says in the book. Yeah, wait, what does it on. say? I You're going to find this. it. It says. Oh, man. It was not um, that different. I, drew, I had to remember that her afternoon in the meadow and my afternoon in the meadow had been quite different experiences how could she begin to understand the kinds of changes I'd gone through in those hours we'd been together in the sun? It was not different. It was the same. It was exactly the same. And so, yeah. Andrew, get us out of here. I'm done. All right, everybody. Until we talk to you next week, try to be happy, but from Edward's perspective. <laughs> <laughs> That was a HeadGum Podcast.